kids podcast. <laughs> you can go slow. A kids podcast about. Hey, listeners, thanks for finding this episode. We believe in the power of conversations and knowing that kids like you are ready to talk about the big things going on in their world. If you like this episode, please consider sharing it with a teacher, a classmate, a relative, or someone you think should hear it. And thanks. Hey there, podcast listeners. Matthew here. We're off this week as I work on writing more episodes of A Kid's Book About, the podcast. And so I thought I'd share an episode from one of my favorite kids' podcasts that I think you'll find is quite fitting for this time of year. Unspookable is a family-friendly look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends. Each week, host Elise Parisian digs into history, brain science, and power dynamics behind such topics as Bloody Mary, Charlie Charlie, and Ouija boards to find the stories behind the scares. Today, we're sharing a recently aired episode on The Dark. I have always been afraid of the dark. True story. Maybe it's my vivid imagination at play, but unexpected noises, shadows making looming shapes, and the fear that something may jump out and surprise me at any moment are why I keep my phone's flashlight on when I'm walking the dog at night or putting the house to bed. When I was a kid, we had a cat that would hide behind the sofa in our family room and would jump out and attack your socks when you passed by on your way to the stairs. Not a fan. (laughs) Elise and the Unspookable team have created a wonderful resource that both educates and entertains, delights and demystifies. And I am so, so happy to share an episode of Unspookable with you today. We've added a link in our show notes so that you can check out other episodes of Unspookable if you enjoy this one. I highly recommend their episode on ghost ships. Leave them a rating or review to let them know what you thought. Okay, on to the episode. Enjoy my Unspookable Spookies. Soundsington Media! It is 11.55 p.m on December 31st, 1999. Yes, 1999. The turn of the century. Your friends are over and you get to stay up late because, of course, it's New Year's Eve. The big question on everyone's mind is about this thing that people are calling Y2K. People are prophesizing that computers that have recently become involved in every aspect of our daily lives will not be able to handle the change of the date from years beginning 19 to years beginning 20. Everything will crash. The systems running our grocery stores, banks, offices, our power grid, everything. The countdown comes. 10, 9, will it happen? 7, 6, will everything crash? 3, 2, One! Happy New! The power goes out. Everyone is plunged into darkness, and everyone screams. You can't see anything. There is utter chaos for about two minutes. And then, the lights flicker on, 
A moment later, one of the adults comes up from the basement laughing. I shut off the breakers. Haha, <laughs> happy Y2K. I'm Elise Parisian, and today we're plunging into the darkness. Why would those two minutes, or a potential future in the dark, be so particularly scary? We'll find out on this episode of Unspookable. I think someone would be afraid of the dark because you don't know what's in it or what could be in it. Reasons someone could be afraid of the dark is there's a lot of movies like I don't remember which movie it was, but me and my dad watched it. And it's a movie where um, when you turn off the lights, like there's a monster. But when you turn them back on, there is no monster. And it's kind of just like messing with the people in the house. So you have to turn off all the lights if you want to like see the monster and it's just kind of scary <laughs> so I feel like if someone saw something like that it'd be like life-altering and scary I think someone would be afraid of the dark because like maybe they're afraid that there might be monsters or something like that but um that's really the only reason I can think of have you ever been a part of a prank in the dark Maybe as simple as turning off a light switch on your friends. Or creeping up on someone when you're walking down the street at night. When we're surprised in the dark, or the lights suddenly go out, like in the New Year's Eve story, our brains go a little wild. Even if we know we're safe, we might scream out of a combination of excitement, fear, expectation, or any number of feelings. But why? First, we need to take a look at evolutionary science. We've talked a lot on Unspookable about how some of our most commonly shared fears may be the result of evolution. When we think about why so many of us share an aversion to snakes or spiders, one answer could be that our brains are hardwired to fear these things by thousands of years of adaptation. The same may be true for the dark. Our prehistoric ancestors were at the whims of the natural world in a way that we may never truly comprehend. Not only did pre-humans, we're talking around 400,000 years ago, not have electricity, they likely didn't have the ability to create fire quickly or easily. So when the sun went down, that was it. It was dark. And although humans and our prehistoric ancestors have pretty good eyesight for mammals, we don't have very good night vision or scotopic vision. Scotopic vision is influenced by the amount of rods that the eye contains. The more rods you have, the more light you can pick up. Owls, for example, have the most powerful night vision out there because they have five times the density of rods as the human eye. So what appears dark to us is not to an owl, because they have so many more receptors in their eyes to pick up any scraps of light that they can find. When you think about it, the difference between light and darkness is relative, dependent on the eye receiving the information. Without an owl-like ability to see at night, 
humans would have been at the mercy of all kinds of threats. After all, if you can't see out into the night, how do you really know what's out there? It could be, then, that our ancestors who had a healthy fear of the dark, who found shelter, who avoided predators, and who didn't take risks in environments where they couldn't see, those may have been the ancestors that survived. Over time, their genes would have been passed down, making a fear of the dark a more commonly shared adaptation, or what some scholars refer to as a prepared fear. A prepared fear is one that is directly tied to survival, meaning we don't really have to learn to be afraid of it. It's almost like it's hardwired into us. We rely on visual information to keep us safe, so our brains over time created a kind of shortcut so that we feel instantly, it's dark. That means something could be unsafe that we don't know about. This type of fear bypasses our logical brains. For many of us, our entire nervous system becomes activated in the darkness. Our brain gives the signal of, you can't see, and your heart rate may increase. Your other senses may become more active, and your breathing may become deeper. All signs that your body is telling you, you might have to get ready to run away. A saber-toothed tiger could be at the mouth of your cave. The dark, like spiders or heights, could be described as a prepared fear because our ancestors with this fear were able to live to have offspring, passing this fear on and building it into our wiring over time. Over many thousands of years, the possibility of getting eaten in the middle of the night by a massive predatory cat has thankfully decreased. But even though many of us around the world face fewer threats at night due to having access to better shelters and light sources, we still carry that fear with us, without even thinking about it. Until we flip a switch and illuminate a room, anything could be lurking there. It's the unknown that the dark creates that gets to us, that activates that ancient response. And with so many influences on our imaginations in today's worlds, it's easy to let our brains get carried away with images of what could be in that unknown. More on that right after this. Hey, grown-ups! With over a hundred different titles in our A Kid's Book About series, it may be hard to figure out where to start. Allow me to make a suggestion. There is perhaps no greater feeling, nothing more life-giving or secure, than to know you belong. No matter where you are, what you're experiencing, or who you're around, without that feeling of belonging, it's hard to concentrate on anything else. We can help our kids know what it feels like to belong, and what it takes to help others feel like they belong around us. When you do belong, you it's very, very evident, right? Because... I like to say, your heart smiles and your brain is tickled. That's Kevin Carroll, author of A Kid's Book About Belonging. Check out our Kevin Talks About Belonging episode of A Kid's Book About, the podcast. Listen together with the kiddos in your life. And when you're ready, visit akidsco.com for more great books and podcasts made to empower kids. I think it could be good to be afraid of the dark or not want to go in the dark because you don't know what's in there. There could be 
a person, there could be an animal, or just something really dangerous in general that you're keeping yourself safe from by not going in the dark? Maybe because there's, like, something that happened, and maybe, like, a floorboard's up, or, um, maybe there's something dangerous there that fell down, like, a a poisonous snake or something, who knows? And then if you might not turn on the light because it's, like, at nighttime. But someone who's afraid of the dark would turn on the light, and they may see that, like, poisonous snake or floorboard that might, is, like, wrong that you might get hurt by and know it's there other than someone else who's at night and, like, wouldn't turn on the light to wake other people up. It could be good, I guess, if you're afraid of the dark, um to just like i mean in the dark i feel like a lot of things do happen that you don't see like um this is super random but in my house a couple months ago that we had a mouse and i only saw it in the dark a few times and no one else saw it because they left the lights on all day and it only ran around in the dark have you ever closed the closet door to avoid seeing it looming in the dark looking like a black hole or leapt from the floor to your bed to avoid stepping right next to that unknown space underneath where anything could be lurking. You know that sense you get when you're getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you can't quite see what's in front of you? That sense that you better turn on the light as quickly as possible. A lot of us know this feeling or remember it from when we were younger. But what were you imagining was in that darkness? A movie monster? Something out of a story someone told you at school? Maybe even something that you heard about happening in real life? As our world changes and we get older, our brains may mature to be more logical, to tell us what could or could not happen. But that doesn't always change that split-second response, that prepared fear of the dark. For so many of us, Passing fear of the dark is completely normal. In fact, one of the most popular internet searches about the dark is, is it normal to be afraid of the dark as a teenager? Suggesting that many of us are looking for answers about if or when we will grow out of this fear. And many of us will. A fear of the dark that becomes so strong that it interferes with daily life, however, is called nyctophobia. Nyctophobia like many fears that are so strong they become phobias, is complicated to live with, but not abnormal. Our brains are just doing the best they can to keep us safe, and sometimes they go overboard into phobia territory. What's interesting about a fear of the dark, unlike a fear of, say, spiders or heights, is that the dark can't be avoided. We as humans are powerless over the eventual setting of the sun each day. Of course, electricity has helped with this, but eventually the body and brain do need darkness to enter into REM sleep, the sleep that keeps us fully rested. Perhaps that's part of the fear of the dark, the fear of sleep, of dreams, especially for those of us that have nightmares. We know so little about the brain's ability to dream during sleep, but we do know that in both waking images and sleeping dreams, our brain's interpretations of light, and by extension color, form deeply in our psyches. Color is a result of the way objects absorb or reflect wavelengths of light. 
in a way, color is light, as colors are not possible without light waves. What we perceive as white is a combination of all the parts of the light spectrum visible to us, the colors of the rainbow, combined. But black is more complicated. It's an absence of light. It's no color at all, in the technical sense. At Unspookable, we happen to think that black should still be your favorite color, though, especially during spooky season. Even for a painter that has access to seemingly infinite colors, what they use on a canvas as black or white pigment actually contains various light or dark colors. Nothing can be pure white or pure black, except unfiltered sunlight or the depths of a black hole. So black as the experience of no light, as the visual cue of nothing. Over time, many humans have associated that with not just physical darkness, but dark intentions. Think about the most recent book you read, or a movie you saw that had a character in the role of the antagonist, which is just a fancy word for whoever the main character might be in conflict with. Very often, we indicate the bad guy in stories with visual cues that we read as darkness. Ursula in The Little Mermaid has black tentacles and lives in a dark cave. In Star Wars, Darth Vader is completely covered in black. And even when a story turns the concept of a bad guy on its head, they're often still wearing black or have dark hair, like Gru in Despicable Me. Is it just that the opposition of dark and light is wired into our brains that creates so much mythology around dark and light? We'll dig into that right after this. I have been afraid of the dark at times, but like, it's weird because it kind of goes in and out like if I remember something scary or like have seen something scary it will kind of make me afraid of the dark for a while but then I'll just like it'll just disappear and I won't be afraid anymore but still I know what it's like to be afraid of the dark and it is very scary I've always been afraid of the dark because it's just it's scary and my closets always have scared me because they're always cold. And when people talk about spirits, it's always like, oh, it's so cold around spirits. And my closets are always freezing. So that's always scared me all the time. I've always been afraid of the dark and I still am a bit, but I've gotten over it just because I, I've i always slept with the TV on because of how scared of the dark I am. But even when I am in the pitch black, I try to find some sort of light because I don't like the idea of being in pure darkness where I can't see anything. I do have one example, which comes to me a lot, when my brain will sometimes just create up monsters randomly that will make me afraid of even moving at night. I won't even want to move even one muscle at all. Or like, call for like help to calm me down. I won't need, want to do any of those because I'm afraid it's right there standing by my room. Like, in my door. Before the break, we were talking about Star Wars. For those of you who haven't seen the movies yet, don't worry, no spoilers. Specifically, one of the main antagonists, Darth Vader. Darth Vader's all-black wardrobe choices are meant to convey to us his evil intent. And it's not just physical visual cues. 
Vader's side of the Force is known as the dark side. Here, Star Wars uses one of the most straightforward examples of associating color with morality, meaning light equals good, where dark equals bad. Some scholars argue that color is such a powerful metaphor or a symbol that represents another idea because we are hardwired to experience darkness as threatening. People, places, or things that are light or bright, a shining silver city, freshly fallen snow, a good witch in a white gown. These things are perceived as good because that color has come to represent that goodness. The potentially problematic flip side of that, though, is that darkness has come to be associated with things bad or evil. A wicked witch with a black cape and hair, a shadowy lair, or even freshly fallen snow, being trampled in the street, getting dirty and therefore not as good. In one study, psychologists, or people who study human minds and behavior, asked participants whether they thought certain words were positive or negative. The words were shown in black or white font on a computer screen, with the program measuring how long it took them to make a decision. Participants decided that words had a positive meaning, like active, baby, clean, and kiss, faster when they were shown in a white font rather than a black font. On the other hand, they classified words with a negative meaning, terms like crooked, diseased, foolish, and ugly, faster when they appeared in black. So what does this mean for how we perceive the world around us? Well, it might mean that we need to examine how our fears, or even just our snap judgments, could be influenced by the work of color on our minds. Is something or someone actually dangerous? Or do our associations with color need to be questioned? That's not to say that you should go wandering in the dark woods late at night because it's fine. Remember, many of our fears come first from our brains trying to protect us. But when darkness becomes a metaphor, when we imagine it represents something that maybe it doesn't, that's possibly when we need to think a little deeper. Like with many things we may be afraid of, we can look at the darkness versus light conflict with a wider perspective. If we don't simplify it to good and bad, then maybe we can see that the two can't exist without each other. All of us and our planet exist because of this contrast, because we have light and dark, night and day. One cannot exist without the other. Things we perceive as opposites give meaning to each other. They're forever connected. One example of this is in the symbol of the yin and yang. This symbol in Chinese philosophy, in which a circle is part black and part white, but each part contains within it a small circle of its opposite, can represent how all opposite forces are interconnected, and each opposite has within it the seed of the other. In many Christian Western philosophies, the story goes that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Later, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God divided the light from the darkness. Here, too, one does not exist without the other. They must be divided. In a myth from the Yoruba tradition, the Orisha Eshu, 
a representation of a minor god, comes walking along the line that divides two friends farming in their separate fields. He wears a cap that is two different colors, one on each side. Each color is, therefore, visible to only one of the men. The two men get in a fight over what color cap Eshu is wearing. Eshu puts an end to the quarrel by showing both men his two-colored hat. Each man is right, but not completely. And each man is wrong, but not completely. It's a matter of different, but not incorrect, perspectives of the same person. The dark, whether literal in our room at night, or metaphorical in a character in a story, contains within it so much human imagination, potential for wonder and exploration, but also for misunderstanding and fear. What does the darkness give us that the light cannot? Is there potential in the dark of night, or only the sinister unknown? Perhaps it's a matter of choosing to look up at the stars when they are visible only because the night is so black, rather than only looking under our beds or listening for things that go bump in the night. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit. Research done by Michael Grafwall. Produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Bella, and Al. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Hi, I'm Matthew. I'm the head of audio at A Kids Co., and I also host a kids' book about the podcast, and worth noting, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for listening to our shows in your classroom or in your bedroom, over breakfast or over dinner, on your drive or on your downtime. No matter what you do between this listen and the next time you tune in, thanks. You're awesome. And it's because of kids like you that we get to make cool stuff like this. See ya.